The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the Disability Law Show. We are back, and so are you, hopefully. 1-855-821-5900, the number anytime. Email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. Got a lot of stuff to get through today, guys. Busy show, busy show. But uh, first, as always, Savannah, a couple weeks that was, maybe two, maybe four. We'll see how it goes. Uh, first one, what's going on? Hey, John. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, it's been a very, very busy week. Let me start off with uh, with an email that we received from uh, a physiotherapist in, uh, in Ottawa. Uh, this is somebody who had listened to the show there. Uh, we don't just broadcast in Toronto. We broadcast in Ottawa. I mean, really, our programs are across the province in Ontario and BC. And here's what she wrote. She writes, I'm a physiotherapist, and I was listening to... Uh, the broadcast on Sunday night uh, with uh, with Sivan and James. I was in my car, so I was unable to record or take notes. It was the most informative hour I have ever heard on this show. Uh, all discussed applied to our dealings with MVA and LTD patients, MVA being motor vehicle accidents and LTD is long-term disability. And then she proceeds to ask for uh, any, any of the... Uh, the um, uh, the shows uh, and do we have them stored anywhere? So we do. Uh, we have them on disabilityrights.ca on our website, disabilityrights.ca. You can see past shows, TV shows, uh, as well as radio shows. And John, the reason why I think this is important, uh, other than the fact that you were not mentioned and it was just James and I, uh, but uh, you know, we do give a lot of really good information here. Uh, we do try to educate the public, but not just the public, also treating practitioners like this lady here. You know, and there's been doctors who've contacted us, you know, family doctors, specialists, psychologists, all throughout the province asking for information and advice, not necessarily specific to cases they have unless they have permission from their patients, but how to deal with insurance companies with respect to long-term disability claims. As frustrating as it is for individuals to get denied or cut off long-term disability, I would say it's almost as equally frustrating for some of these treatment practitioners who who can see how everything good that they're trying to accomplish with their patients to help their patients is being reversed by the insurance companies who are supposed to be protecting and providing that safety net to their patients. So to all those treatment practitioners out there, anybody who is in this business, if you need to talk, if you have questions, general questions, specific questions, any way that we can help you uh, navigate this system, this insurance system, long-term disability system, uh, we're here. James and I are here. Our entire team is here. It's going to cost nothing. Feel free to email us with questions, to call us with questions. We're more than happy to talk. Email address, by the way, again, is help at disabilityrights.ca. What else you got going on, Pally? Well, let me, let me uh, uh, read you a question that was posted by Ed. Uh, okay. This was posted to our website, mydisabilityquestions.com. And uh, James, I'm going to send that to you. I'm going to ask you to answer this question. Uh, interesting scenario. Here's what Ed writes. My younger brother recently retired from TELUS due to his inability to deal with the workload. Yesterday, he was diagnosed with SP, uh, PSP, uh, a rare form of Parkinson's disease. Would he have the right to long-term disability given that he chose to retire from work due to the symptoms this disease has caused? Well, the right to, in fact, bring the claim, yes, he probably would because it sounds as though he was suffering from this disability before he formally gave his uh, retirement. 
whether or not he would actually get any benefit from it, though, is going to depend on what his situation is. So, for example, if he got any kind of a package on his retirement, that would almost certainly be a credit against anything his disability insurer would be required to pay. Uh, If he is getting any kind of an early pension, especially um, CPP disability, that would be um, almost certainly used against uh, any credit, uh, sorry, any benefits that he might have, although you'd have to take a look at the policy. And anything else that he might be getting, you'd have to consider looking at the policy whether or not that's going to be credited against. But does he have the right to you know, apply for and be approved for the claim? Yes. It's really just a matter of calculating what might be available to him. And this is just a matter of looking at the policy itself. And so you have coverage at any point where you're employed. And if you become disabled while you have coverage, then you're entitled to bring the claim, even if you've actually formally retired at the point where you're making the application. And that's pretty clear on the law. Now, does that mean when you make the application that your insurer is going to accept that claim as being valid? No, it does not. In fact, I would guess, I'd be shocked, in fact, if the insurer um, didn't respond back by saying that you're not entitled to apply because you've given your retirement. I suspect that is exactly what they will say. They'll be wrong, but that's what they will say initially. And they're doing that because they figure if they put that out there, you're going to say, well, I guess that makes sense. I retired, so I don't have the right to do it. No, that's not the case. If you became disabled before you gave your formal retirement notice, you would have the ability to, in fact, bring the bring the claim. And, and you know, John, there, there are many shades to this kind of situation. Uh, a lot of people who find themselves being out of work, whether they've retired like this person or uh, they've been let go and they haven't yet completed the application for long-term disability, and they think that just by virtue of the fact that they now are not employed, that they're not... Uh, allowed or they can't apply for long-term disability, and that's just not the case. Now, again, every case has to be decided on its facts, which is why we tell people, contact us, we can help you. But if you have, you know, if you're in that situation where you've been let go or you retired or whatever the reason is, you're no longer working, but you became disabled while you were still covered for LTD, make that application, make it Put forth that application for LTD. If you get denied, contact us immediately and we can tell you if you have a case or not. In many instances, you will have a case. And if you do, we'll tell you that. And if you don't, uh, then we'll tell you that as well. But it's very important for you to really uh, understand that the fact that you're not working right now does not mean that you don't have an LTD case if that disability arose while you're working. One of many good reasons to contact the guys, and you can do so as we uh, slide into a break here. I'll give you the info, one 821 5900 the phone number. Website, disabilityrights.ca. Email address is help at disabilityrights.ca as well. This is the Disability Law Show. It's on Global News Radio. This is the Disability Law Show. You want to... Uh Call through and talk to the guys anytime at the firm or a member of the team, one 821 5900 Email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. Before we get to uh, Antoinette's email, Savannah, you got something else you want to cover? Yeah, so one more email that uh, I received, and you know this is an interesting one as well. Again, James, I'll ask you to, to give us your thoughts uh, about this email. Uh, and this individual contacted me, actually. Um, he wrote because we were recommended by one of our, our previous clients. And by the way, you will see if you go on our on our website or, or Google, uh, our, our reviews, Google reviews, I mean, you know, just check out what people say. You know, we've helped literally hundreds, if not thousands of people, and many of them have put their reviews on our website or on Google. So, you know, you can check that out. Uh, so here's the email. 
Uh, I'm currently on LTD for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder resulting from a violent armed robbery at work where I am the head teller. Uh, My LTD insurance company now wants me to sign several forms for application for CPP disability. My question is this, should I sign the form giving them the right to appoint one of their representatives to act as my advocate to appeal my case if my CPP disability is denied, uh, or is that when I should come to you for help? Um, and, and you know, essentially that's the question. There's a few other things that the person put there, but th- their concern is should they just fork over or hand over any rights with CPP disability directly to their insurance company, their LTD insurer? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Unless there is something in the policy that gives them the right to force you to do that. There's something in the policy that says if you are approved for long-term disability benefits, then you are required to not only apply for CPP disability, but if you are denied CPP disability, to give us the right to bring an appeal. If there is something in the policy that says that, and I've yet to see a policy that does, but if there were that kind of a, a provision in your LTD policy, then you don't have a choice. But absent something that gives them the explicit right to do that, I would say no. I would say, show me where it is in the policy that you're entitled to do that. I can choose my own representation. And in fact, if you are denied your CPP disability, you can decide whether or not you want to appeal it or not. There's very rarely anything within the policy itself that explicitly says that you have to appeal. Now, more often than not, you'll want to, but I would think in most cases that you're going to want to be in control of that process, whether or not that's with a lawyer or whether that's by yourself. But it's something that I wouldn't just voluntarily give to the insurance company. That's just a right that they typically do not have. Yeah, so so two things on this. So I agree with everything that James had. Uh, the first thing that I would mention is that when we're talking about appeals in this context, it's for CPP disability, okay? Uh, we're not in any way saying that you should appeal if you've been denied long-term disability with your insurance company, okay? Those are two separate things, long-term disability and CPP disability, two separate processes. CPP disability, if you're denied, certainly you should appeal, Uh, Long-term disability, if you've been denied, absolutely not. You should not appeal. You should contact us, and we will help you through the process. There is a legal mechanism that is very, very uh, uh, forceful and powerful to force the insurance company to pay you what you're owed. Uh, The the second thing that I would mention here is that generally insurance companies try to grab as much power as they can. They try to grab as much as they can, and, and they try to do that through various processes. And one of these is the CPP disability process. They understand that they get a credit for anything you get from CPP disability. Now, I did have an interesting case at one point where a person did, in fact, agree that the insurance company appoint a representative uh, to help them with CPP disability. And uh, despite that, the person was rejected for CPP disability. And then subsequently, the LTD insurer cut the person off disability. Now, I use the fact that the insurance company got someone to fight for that claimant's behalf for CPP disability against the insurance company. I basically argue that, look, your insurance company, you went and appointed someone on behalf of this individual to argue to the government that this person is disabled, that they have a severe and prolonged disability, and then you turn around afterwards and you say that person is not disabled under our policy. Now, they made their own technical arguments. My point is that we arrived at a settlement very quickly after I got involved. So again, don't let the insurance company grab things unnecessarily from you, grab power, like assuming the control of the CPP disability process. 
make sure that you ask us any questions you have along the way, just like this person has done. Uh, because oftentimes the insurance company will not necessarily abide by the terms of the policy. They're supposed to, but many times they won't, and they'll ask for things that they're not otherwise allowed to get under that policy. Guys, we'll, uh, we'll take a short break before we get into this lengthy email by Antoinette. Uh, the guys mentioned several times how you should and could reach out. I'll give it to you again, one 821 5900 disabilityrights.ca. I know you mentioned the TV show there, Savannah. That's a good way to find where you can catch uh, past uh, episodes of the show and the radio show for that matter. And you want to reach out through email, it is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue more Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. Hang on. The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. You want to get a hold. James Savan, member of the uh, very capable team, one 821 5900 or the email address, which we use on the show as well, of course, is help at disabilityrights.ca. Guys, uh, Antoinette waiting in the wings with this email. Writes in, says, hey guys, my husband saw your TV show and was very impressed with all the information that you guys give out. He told me that I should contact you because I'm not getting anywhere with my case. I was getting long-term disability for almost two years. Then I was cut off in May 2017. I'm 48 years old, and I'm an accountant. I have Parkinson's that is getting worse. I take medications and see my doctors regularly. After I was cut off, I went to a lawyer that was recommended to me by my neighbor, and he tried to appeal three times, but I was rejected every time. He told me that to start a legal claim, I would have to pay him, ready for this, a $5,000 retainer, which we had to take a loan to do. He started the case last year, last year in April, but nothing is happening. And every time I call him, he says that he's uh, trying to get a hold of the insurance lawyer to talk. What do you think about that? Well, this email that Antoinette sent us is full of red flags in there. There are so many things in this email that are really concerning to me. First of all, you know, she's hired a lawyer that's charging a retainer up front of $5,000. Yeah. I don't know any lawyers, any lawyers who have any experience doing long-term disability law that charge an upfront retainer like that. Every lawyer that I know that's practicing in long-term disability is has a retainer that's based on a contingency fee, which means that the client is not paying anything up front or as the case goes along and is only required to pay at the end of the case and then only if the lawyer is successful in getting money from the insurance company. And that is certainly the way that we work. And so if you are hiring a lawyer to do your long-term disability claim and they're asking for money up front, that should be a pretty clear sign that they probably don't have sufficient experience in order to get you the results that you want. The other thing that's really concerning, and if you've listened to the show at all, you know where I'm going with this. If you hire a lawyer and the lawyer's first move is to appeal a denial of LTD, not once, not twice, but three times, they clearly do not have a really good understanding of how the process works. When you appeal a denial or or a termination of benefits for long-term disability, you are allowing the insurance company to maintain complete control over the process. And as a lawyer, why would you ever do that? 
why would you ever give your opponent control over a process that is basically taking something out of your client's pocket? You are, you know, you're obligated as a lawyer to look out for your client's best interest, and part of that is making sure that the process that you're engaging in is going to be the process that is most beneficial to your client. And that is, in every case, for long-term disability, that, is, that means not going the appeal route. It means bringing a legal claim, taking the power away from the insurance company and forcing them to come to the table and be reasonable. The other thing that is of concern to me, though, is the amount of time that's passed since the lawyer's been hired. Now, she was cut off, Antoinette's saying she was cut off in May of 2017. And so, you know, we're talking almost three years ago. Now, she does mention that her lawyer started the case last year in April. So that would be just before the two-year mark. And, you know, I see this so much more frequently than I would expect. But there are so many lawyers out there that will bring a claim just before the two-year deadline to bring a claim. Now, certainly, if you have a client and you haven't brought a claim within the two years, yes, you absolutely want to get it in under the wire. But why would you ever wait two years to do it? Why would you ever go to the end point of that limitation period in order to start the claim? What is just so easy to understand, whether you're a lawyer or not, is the sooner you start the process, the sooner you get a resolution. So why delay it? It doesn't make any sense. There are certain circumstances where you might hold off initially on bringing a claim until you get the relevant information, but it would almost never be the case that you would wait two years. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. So, you know, the fact that this lawyer has charged this retainer and has appealed three times and hasn't done anything, hasn't gotten to even to a mediation within three years from the date that she was denied, that makes no sense to me. It makes no sense whatsoever. You know, I don't you know, I don't know who the other lawyer is. She hasn't mentioned, so I can't really comment on any particular individual. But it certainly seems to me that this person that she's hired simply doesn't understand what they are doing and isn't looking out for her best interest the way that Antoinette really deserves in this case. And it's really quite simple. Once the other side sees that there is an experienced long-term disability lawyer on the file, it's very easy to get to a mediation quite quickly within a matter of a couple of months and to get the case resolved. It's not something that should take years and years and years. Our experience is typically within a year, often within a few months, we're able to get to the table and get a very good resolution for our clients. You know, this John, lawyer does not sound like a disability lawyer. No. Does, does not sound like a disability lawyer. So, John, lawyer. L- last year I, I remember speaking with a lady. Um, I was actually, I remember I was in my car and I speaking with her and a lot of what Antoinette is writing here uh, rings true for that particular case that I remember. Uh, again, that lawyer there, uh, not necessarily a disability lawyer, but took on a disability case, took mm-hmm. a retainer, etc. And then that lawyer fell off the face of the earth. The the individual was not able to reach that person. When I did some of my searches, once she gave me the name of the lawyer, I found out that the lawyer was disbarred. Okay, The law society actually disbarred that lawyer. That lawyer had no right to practice anymore. And of course, that lady was left in a lurch. And, you know, she, she's hemorrhaging for money. Now the money's coming in. She's disabled, etc. We got involved and helped her. But, you know, you need to make sure you get the right people involved. It's no different than a medical uh, uh, issue that you're having. You want to have the right doctor. And if you don't go to the right person, y- y- trust me, you're going to pay for that. You're going to pay for that in a huge way. And in these cases here, that could mean the difference of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that's owed to you and your family. So be very, very careful and do your due diligence. And that's what we tell people. We're here to give out information. 
you want to retain us, great. If you don't want to retain us, fine. But at least arm yourself with the information you need uh, to make sure that you know your legal options so you know how to proceed. Did she get her, uh, she get her five grand back from this Jimmy Hoffa of the uh, legal world? We never no? found that lawyer. Wow. Nice. Yeah. No, it, it's, nice. It's, it's a tragedy, you know. I mean, Brutal. But it, the good thing is that we resolved the case and she was very happy and we were able to get everything she was owed. But no, she lost at 5000 Want to talk about the myth of total disability, guys, when we come back from a short break. In the meantime, one 821 5900 Help at disabilityrights.ca is a way to reach out through email. So we'll get to that here in just a bit. It's the Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Disability Law Show, right back at it. 1-855-821-5900. That is the number to, to reach out. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. If you have any questions, uh, whether we're on or off the air, you can go mydisabilityquestions.com and ask those. And Savannah and the team will answer them rather quickly. There is a drop-down menu as well. You can search for your question. Maybe it's been asked and answered in depth, though. You can uh, just do it that way or leave it there, and it'll get answered either way. Um, total disability. I put that in air quotes. The myth of why is that a misleading term, guys, and what should people uh, need to know about the term total disability? Well, just think about how that sounds in everyday use. If you say that you are totally disabled to someone else that, you know, to a friend or a family member, the perception is that what you mean is that you're not able to do basically any of your regular day-to-day functions, that getting out of bed is itself very difficult for you, getting dressed, bathing yourself, feeding yourself. You are totally disabled. Oh, I can't do any of these things for myself. I can't drive myself place to place. That's the perception, and that is by design. So insurance companies use this phrase, total disability, and it's the the term that they use to describe someone who's entitled to receive benefits. And when you hear it, these images pop up in your mind that we've just been discussing. But what does it actually mean? Well, the definition is, in fact, very, very specific and clear, and it's set out in the policy in language that's easy to understand. And all it means is whether or not you have a disability that prevents you from doing your own occupation within the first two years. After that, it's any occupation. But it's really just a matter of looking at, do you have a disability and is it preventing you from doing your occupation? If it does, then you are under the terms of the policy totally disabled. That does not mean you can't get out of bed. It doesn't mean that you can't bathe yourself, dress yourself, feed yourself, even drive to your own appointments. You may well be able to do all of that. You may be able to do some of your recreational and leisure activities. You may, in fact, be able to do some of your work activities. But if you cannot function in your job in a way that's going to allow you to show up every day and do the job that's required of you, then you are totally disabled under the policy. And it's as simple as that. They use this phrase, totally disabled, as a way to mislead you so that when you say, well, you're not, when they say you're not totally disabled, you say, well, I guess that's true. I'm not totally disabled. I can do all of these other things. They must be right. No. Look at the definition in the policy. If your doctors agree that you are not able to go to work, then you are totally disabled under the policy. And this is why, and I come back to this every time this issue comes up, they could call it anything. They could call it gummy bears or whatever else you want. You can use any term that you want. What it means is what is described in the policy, and that is the only thing that matters. It's psychology. 
John, in psychology. And, and it, it, this works also on, and we talked about this before, on doctors. We have individuals that uh, you know will describe how their illness or, or injury prevents them from working. They're unable to work, but yet they go to their doctors, and their doctors say, yeah, but no, you're not totally disabled. I've seen people who are totally disabled. And remember, you know, we also have, you know, moral vehicle accident uh, legislation. We have we have different types of laws depending on the type of, of injury or illness you're dealing with. And so some doctors who are used to dealing with car accidents, you know, again, they have may, may have a perception of what total disability means. They may equate that with catastrophic. Trust me, if the LTD policy test was that you have to be paralyzed or in a coma to qualify, they would state that in the policy. The fact that they state the term totally disabled or total disability, it's a very grayish area type of a term. It's not, they're not telling you that it requires you to be in bed 18 hours a day. So James is 100% correct. The, the, the issue, John, that we face is when people contact us, you know, it, it, it takes a while to sort of break through the fog. Because right. that confusion that is created by the insurance industry is very powerful. The same confusion and, and you know, the, the same kind of uh, a mirage that they create, that they are omnipotent, that you can't go after an insurance company. Well, guess what? Both James and I many years ago worked for insurance companies. I can tell you, if you hired the right lawyer and that lawyer goes after the insurance company and you have a legitimate case, that insurance company will pay they are not going to take this to trial. They're not going to take a risk that they're going to get hammered by a judge. But you have, to, you have to understand that, and you have to break through the fog, and you have to understand that they are trying to confuse you and manipulate you and control you. So, you know, again, I don't disagree with anything James said. It's just important for people to understand and for other individuals like psychologists and doctors uh, that they understand what insurance companies are doing and the reason why they're doing it, why they're calling it, uh, you know, giving it a term that is so comprehensive as to mislead. Let's talk a little bit about before we break. Here we got a minute or so. Um, PocketEmploymentLawyer.ca, as the name would suggest, it has to do with employment law, which of course is the other half of the firm where you guys uh, do your business. But how is it related to what you guys do with disability? Well, many people who are in fact disabled have issues with their employment. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, employers let people go who are on disability. They're not allowed to do that. Uh, you know, and many times disabilities arise out of the employment situation because of stress and, and things like that. So, you know, we've developed this website that's free, that's anonymous, and what it does is it allows you, uh, as an individual not wanting to call a lawyer, uh, maybe you, I don't know, you're intimidated or you just don't feel like emailing us or anyone, you just want to go to Google and find the information you need to find to understand your legal rights. Well, there's a lot of misinformation on Google about these issues. And so we've created this tool, uh, Pocket Employment Lawyer. And uh, it, it just all you got to do is just click a few, uh, um, just go through the menus and just click whatever is applicable to you, to your situation. It'll take you a few seconds. And then uh, th- that, that website uh, creates a, a very quick analysis of your case. It gives you answers, a starting point to let you know if you have any legal rights that uh, you can enforce, any money that's payable to you, that's owed to you by the employer or by the insurance company. If beyond that you want to contact us to you know to prosecute those rights to, to, to get that money that's owed to you, by all means, click that button and then we'll be in touch. If you don't, that's fine. At least you found out what your legal rights are and you didn't have to pay for it. You didn't have to yeah. contact uh, you know any lawyers for it. You just went there and that's it. So pocket employment lawyer. If you're having any employment issues whatsoever, or if you have any issues with your long-term disability insurer. 
Going to slide over to an email again once we uh, take a break. Get through that one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca. It's the Disability Law Show. This is Global News Radio. And back to the Disability Law Show. Reaching out is uh, as follows: one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca. If you haven't checked it out yet, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. There is a section on there uh, about disability as well. It's free. It's anonymous. If you choose to follow through with some contact, there's a yellow contact us button right at the top right of the website again pocket employment lawyer.ca email neela up next is guys my husband has been getting a long-term disability benefits for over eight months because of a heart condition both his family doctor and his cardiologist confirmed that he can't go back to work but his family doctor just retired and he sees his cardiologist once every few months the insurance company has said that they need an update and we're trying to find another family doctor He's not seeing his cardiologist for another two months. We're afraid that they will stop payments if we can't get him to see a doctor sooner than the, for the update. Uh, what do we do? Well, what I would do is make sure that your insurance company is aware of exactly what's happening. So make sure you put in writing uh, that your husband's family doctor has recently retired and outline all the steps that you have taken and are taking in order yeah. to find a replacement. And within that, you want to make clear that there's you know going to be a timeline before you're able to get an update on the file. And so part of that is finding a doctor and then uh, fitting within their schedule and then getting an update. And so that can take itself a few months in order to get, at which point it sounds as though your husband will have already seen the cardiologist and would be able to at least get an update from that particular doctor which should satisfy the insurer. So as long as the insurer is aware of these specific issues that you're dealing with and that you're not uh, you know, being unresponsive, that you're uh, not trying to avoid their inquiries, that you're doing everything reasonable, you haven't given them any basis to cut you off in that case. Doesn't mean that they won't, doesn't mean that, they, that they're going to act reasonably, but if they were to cut your husband off in that particular instance and you've provided them with all the information you can, and have outlined the specific issues that you're facing and trying to provide the update, then you would have a very good basis to challenge that decision by legal claim and possibly have a successful claim for punitive damages if they were aware that you were doing everything reasonably possible to comply with their request. We can move on to uh, to Nancy here. Nancy's email says, my best friend is struggling with uh, postpartum depression, and she's also suffering from high levels of anxiety. Despite that, her doctor and therapist saying that she should be off work. She was denied long-term disability. She already exhausted her short-term benefits with the same insurance company. She's trying to appeal, but she's uh, very pessimistic that she will get anywhere with that. Uh, any advice you could offer her is greatly appreciated. Well, Nancy, first of all, thank you for contacting us for your friend. Uh, and, you know, she is right. Your friend is correct to be pessimistic about appealing those kinds of decisions. And we've talked about that, uh, you know, forever. Uh, yep. These appeals lead you nowhere. If, if, if anything, they frustrate the individual. Uh, they prolong the agony. And, you know, it's like a long detour, assuming that eventually the person gets to the right place, which is to start a legal claim against the insurance company to enforce uh -huh. their rights. So, you know, Nancy, really what we're going to look at if your friend contacts us or if you, uh, with her permission, give us her contact info and we'll call her is we want to see the denial letter. We want to see the, the letters from the various individuals who are treating her. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a difficult, you know, analysis that we engage in. We ask the individual a whole bunch of questions, but it really takes us a few minutes to figure out if there is a potential case against the insurance company 
because this is not rocket science. And insurance companies understand this. They also understand that out of X amount of claims that they deny, uh, there's going to be a a large proportion of those individuals who are going to either try to appeal those decisions uh, or they're just going to walk away. People are going to fold up like you know turtles, cur- you know curl up like turtles, and they're just not going to do anything. They're just going to, to to assume that there is no way to challenge the insurance company. And so, Nancy, I, I can tell you right now, we've dealt with a lot of cases similar to what your friend is experiencing. And uh, you know, my advice is put us in touch with her. We will tell her literally within a few minutes by phone if she wants, if she has a case, and if she does, it's her choice. We're never going to force anyone to take an action. Uh, against the insurance company, but it's it's she's going to know where she stands. One thing I will, I'm not going to say I'm going to guarantee it. There are no guarantees, but I will almost guarantee it. Her appeal will come back denied because that's just what insurance companies do. Well, a, a, another really significant point here is that it's the same insurance company that was providing short-term disability benefits as long-term disability benefits. And typically, if you have the ability to get your short-term disability benefits, those would end just the day before you'd be entitled to start receiving long-term disability. And in almost all cases, the test for short-term disability is functionally the same test as long-term disability. Sometimes it's exactly the same. And if it's the same insurance company and they're applying the same test, then what are the chances that they Mm -hmm. somehow have been able to determine that, as it turns out, coincidentally, on the very last day, that Nancy's friend is able to get short-term disability. She still has you know, the definition of total disability. But magically, on the day that she's entitled to receive long-term disability for the first day, that's the day that she's good enough to return to work. That seems just a little bit too convenient for me. And I don't think that's going to fly. And I think the insurance company is going to understand that very quickly. Although that said, John... Even if it was a different insurance company, I think we can still make a very similar argument, which is why did insurance company X say that she meets the same test or a very similar test for disability that insurance company Y now says that she doesn't meet for long-term disability? You know, and again, people need to understand this is for insurance companies, you know, it's a game. It's a game of numbers. They, They are trying to figure out how many people they can shake off claim or deny these claims to make them go away. Because, you know, if they owe you, John, $300,000 for your disability claim and they're able to shake you off or deny your claim and you walk away, who keeps that 300? That doesn't go to charity. That goes to the insurance company. It goes to their shareholders or whoever else there. So not multiply that by thousands of claims across the province, across the country, how much money the insurance companies are making. And there are people out there who are going to say, well, you guys are lawyers. It's self-serving for you. You know, I'm not saying people should come to us and hire us. We would love to help you. We would. I mean, that's what we do. But even if you don't come to us, don't give up on the money that's owed to you. Premiums were paid for this money. If legitimately you are you qualify under the policy, why shouldn't you get that money? It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. So for anyone out there who says, well, you guys are just lawyers and people should, you know, this is why insurance premiums are going up, that's absolute garbage and nonsense. We have insurance as protection, whether it's travel insurance, house insurance, car insurance, so long as you are using it legitimately, not fraud, legitimately, you should get paid. And that's what we do here. We give this information so people know what their rights are. 
Got time for a few more emails, I think, in our last few minutes here, but we'll take a, a break before we uh, get into that. It is one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That is the way to go. The email address help at disabilityrights.ca. And if I haven't used it yet, another way for you to ask questions anytime, mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll get to those as well, and you can use it anytime. It is a disability law show on Global News Radio. The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Disability Law Show right here, one 821 5900 the phone number. Here's, uh, here's Ben's email, guys. says, my son is 37 years old and works for a high-end commercial real estate firm downtown. He's had mental struggles in the past, but uh, recently after his divorce and his mother's death, he's gotten very bad. He's gotten worse. He's seeing a psychiatrist who prescribed him medications and time off, and he's been getting a long-term disability for just under two years. Now his case manager says that he won't be getting more payments after the end of January. He's nowhere near ready to go back to work. Can you guys help him, please? Yeah, I'm quite sure that we're going to be able to help him. Um, So, Ben, this is something that all of our listeners need to understand. The test for whether or not you're entitled to benefits under long-term disability policy changes at the two-year mark. And so it's very frequent that we see insurers taking steps to cut people off at that point in time. The test becomes harder. It becomes whether or not you can return to any occupation not necessarily your own occupation. And so in many cases, an insurer will in fact be justified in cutting people off at that point in time. But when you're dealing with mental health issues, it's not that much of a difference. Yes, there are going to be certain situations where someone with a mental health disability will be able to go to some other occupation, especially if the occupation that they had prior to disability was particularly high stress. But if you have a generalized mental health condition that is there all day long, that is there in every situation, it's something that it's not much going to matter which job you're looking at. It's something that is going to prevent you from being able to reliably go into work on a regular basis until you have it under control, until it is something that you are able to do, uh, that you're able to manage on a day-to-day basis. And if it's preventing you from doing your own occupation frequently, it will also be preventing you from doing any occupation. What does that mean? It means that very frequently when insurers deny or cut off benefits at the two-year mark in a mental health issue case, they're not justified in doing so. Now, obviously, we're going to want to make sure that we have the medical support of your son's doctors um, and that they are saying that not only can he not return to the job he had before in real estate, but that he's not able to return to any other job that he's qualified for by training, education, or experience. That's what the test becomes. Now, here's the thing that you often are not told. Some insurance policies will have language in there that says at the two-year mark, yes, it's any occupation that you're qualified for, but it has to pay you at least X amount, and sometimes it's 50% or 60% or even 70% of what you had been making before. But in most cases, most policies aren't explicit about whether or not there's a certain threshold for earnings that would deny you the ability to continue receiving benefits. If the policy is silent, the law says that you have to be able to make what they call commensurate earnings. And typically that is uh, seen to be about 60 to 70% of what you had been earning before. And so if your son 
after this two-year mark is not able to do some other occupation that's going to pay him at least 60% of what he had been making before, then he's entitled to continue receiving benefits. And that's what the test is. So, yeah, we can help him. Um, it's just going to take a phone call, and we'll get some more information. We can get the claim started. Move on to uh, to Daniela, guys. We'll get this email in. I think we got time. Daniela says, uh, I am a, a psychotherapist, and I truly appreciate all the information you give on your show. I have a question about treatment providers and people's ability to choose who they want to treat them. I've had several instances where patients of mine told me that they have to go for treatments with insurance-recommended or prescribed psychologists and stop treatments with me. They felt pressured by the insurers and were terrified that if they might get cut off benefits if they failed to comply. So they did, very reluctantly. Uh, what can I do as a therapist if this happens? Can I complain to the ombudsman? Can I uh, direct these patients for you to help if they don't want to switch? Yeah, this is, uh, Daniela, unfortunately something we have seen and heard about before. And, and, you know, the reality is this. Insurance companies cannot force a person to go for treatments where, with a particular provider. They simply can't. I've never, ever seen a policy that contains a provision that says the person has to go to person X or Y or clinic X or Y. Uh, the question is, though, what can you do and how do we deal with these individuals, the, the, uh, you know, your, your, your patients? Uh, so, you know, you can certainly direct them towards us. Uh, the patients can simply uh, advise the, the insurance company, the adjuster, that they are comfortable with you, that you are helping them. And, and frankly, if the insurance company continues to press them, again, have them contact us on their behalf. We can contact the insurance company and, and push back. Uh, but, you know, nothing stops. We can't stop the insurance company from cutting them off. I will tell you this, though. If the insurance company cuts off one of your patients because your patient is not willing to stop treatment with you and go elsewhere, they are opening themselves up to an extra contractual claim, to punitive damages. Insurance companies cannot dictate who you will get treatments from, especially when you're already getting that type of treatment. It's very different if you're not getting a certain treatment and the insurance company says, we think that there is another treatment that, that you know may be helpful and here's a doctor that, that deals with that. But even then, even then as an individual suffering from an illness or an, or, or an injury, you are allowed to go elsewhere and, and get the help you need. As long as you're getting proper and reasonable treatments, you should be able to select who you want treating you. So, Daniela, we can help your patients if they have that issue. Uh, and, and, you know, keep those questions coming. And I, I say that, you know, to, to any health practitioner out there, there are many out there who are struggling with insurance companies on behalf of their patients. Good stuff, guys. We'll wrap it for a, another show. If you want to reach out, get a hold of James, get a hold of Savannah, a member of the team. You know how to do it by now, one 855 821-5900 is the email, or pardon me, the phone number. The email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. We've mentioned a few times during the show, we try to uh, direct you right to disabilityrights.ca, the website there. You can catch past radio shows and our television show as well. There is also pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, as well as employment law is nicely intertwined with disability law, and there is a section on disability law at Pocket Employment Lawyers will do that. And finally, more questions uh, on your time. MyDisabilityQuestions.com is a wonderful resource. We'll catch you next time. The Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.